So by now, many people have heard that Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz's 56-year-old daughter, uh, Malika Shabazz, passed away um, on Monday, November 22nd. She was found in her apartment by her daughter. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about that. There, there are not a lot of details. Uh, the story broke while we were live on the air yesterday. The uh, Griot.com has a good article uh, dealing with this. And they talked about it on, um, we've, we've heard about it in the news today. Uh, they talked about it on the Black News Channel. Uh, we know that um, Bernice King, daughter of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King, um, did a post on uh, social media today about that as well. We shared it on our Facebook, Facebook fan page, uh, The African History Network. So this is uh, more sad news, and we know that this is uh, on the heels of two men who were convicted back in 1966 of the assassination of um, Malcolm X. We know they were uh, vindicated. Uh, last week, we covered that extensively here on this show, Muhammad Aziz and Khalil Islam. Okay, so we'll talk um, some about uh, what we know so far. Uh, the police are saying it does not appear uh, it's foul play. Uh, so far, it appears uh, that it is, um, the, well, the cause of death has not yet been determined. Okay. Malcolm X's daughter, Malika Shabazz, found dead at her Brooklyn home, uh, police official. So this story broke uh, while we were live on the air yesterday, and we shared with you what we knew. Uh, and then we're going to do an update on today's show. All right. So we'll talk about that. And then, uh, you know, like I said, this is a big news day today. Kevin Strickland. Um, we've heard about Kevin Strickland's case and, uh, Kevin Strickland was exonerated after 43 years in prison in one of the longest wrongful conviction cases in U S history and one of the wrongful longest conviction cases in U S history. Okay. Um, Kevin Strickland was convicted by an all white jury in 1978 uh, in Kansas City, Missouri, and has spent over four decades in prison, right? We're going to uh, talk about this story. There's a big article from the Washington Post, and we talked about, the, we posted uh, this story on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. As soon as the story broke, uh, I monitor about 35 different news sources on a daily basis. So I get uh, I get news alerts all throughout the day and night, for that matter. Uh, so I got a news alert yesterday while we were live on the air that uh, Malcolm X's daughter passed away. That's how that's how I knew about it because I, I get alerts all throughout the day and night. I've been doing radio eleven years, so there's been numerous breaking news stories that I've broken on the air. One of them was about Stormy Daniels. Um, Stormy Daniels and uh, Donald Trump. 
I actually broke that story on the air for 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. Kevin Strickland exonerated after 43 years um, in one of the longest wrongful conviction cases in U.S. history. Okay, so we'll talk about this as well. Now, uh, and I'm going to share a clip from ABC News that gives some background information on this case also. Now, um, one of the most... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say one of the most depressing things because there's a number of depressing things in this in this whole story here. We're, we're happy he's exonerated. Um, he should have never been convicted. But based upon uh, Missouri state law, unfortunately, he won't uh, be able to get any type of compensation uh, for being wrongfully imprisoned. I know it sounds crazy, but once again, this is an example of how elections have consequences and how politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement, and how politics impacts every aspect of our life. This is an example of that. This is the law in Missouri. Okay. So uh, we'll, we'll discuss this as well. Okay. Now, uh, so, we, so we have that story. The Groveland Four, okay, the Groveland Four. Uh, these were uh, four African-American men accused in a 1949 rape of a white woman. Of a white woman. They uh, have been exonerated. And uh, this was in Florida, okay, uh, during, uh, during the Jim Crow era. Uh, this was a big story yesterday. We just ran out of time on yesterday's show and did not have time uh, to talk about this case. But I posted about it on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. So you can check it out there. Uh, if you missed it, a lot of people have been commenting uh, on on the story. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll squeeze that in. We'll talk about that uh, on today's show also. And then uh, lastly, uh, let me see. So we have we have uh, day twelve in uh, in the uh, Michael Bryan murder trial and the murder of Ahmad Arbery. Uh, the jury is in deliberations right now. We'll discuss that. Kevin Strickland, Malika Shabazz, and the Groveland Four. Okay. All right. Uh, you listen to the African History Network show right here on nine ten a.m. the Superstation the Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's the speed the ghost, L-O-X-D block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWilly.com. 
Kwanzaa is coming and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African American flag, and a basket. Visit the KwanzaaShop.com, the KwanzaaShop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit the KwanzaaShop.com and place your order today. The KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. The KwanzaaShop.com After History Network show, we deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take advantage of it. You control the radius of a man or a woman's thoughts. You control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021, and we are live. On the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with. It's based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. Okay, uh, so we're going to call the numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. Uh, we're going to jump in, uh, jump into this. I'm going to, to send you this uh, information here, Shakita. Okay, so uh, we're going to go to clip four. We're going to go to clip four, number first from Black News Channel, Malika Shabazz. So we got the, while we were live on the air last night, this story broke, and I wanted to check a couple of sources before I started talking about it on the air. Um, NBC Channel 4 reported yesterday Malcolm X's daughter, Malika Shabazz, was found dead in her Brooklyn home. Police, uh, the uh, the city's medical examiner responded to the scene and said the incident was not deemed uh, suspicious. A cause of death has yet to be determined. A cause of death has yet to be determined. A uh, picture of uh, Malika Shabazz also uh, from 2015. Now, Malika Shabazz is, uh, we know, the daughter of uh, Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz. Um, she was 56 years old. She was found unconscious and unresponsive inside her home on East 28th Street in Midwood just uh, before 4.30 p.m. on uh, Monday, November 22nd, the police officials told NBC New York. She was later pronounced dead. Uh, the city's medical ex examiner responded 
responded to the scene and said the incident was not deemed suspicious. A cause of death has yet to be determined. Uh, Malika Shabazz was one of, uh, she was one of a set of twins and one of the six siblings of, uh, all daughters of, uh, Malcolm X, Malcolm and Betty Shabazz. And, uh, she was born after their, uh, actually, Dr. Betty Shabazz was pregnant with the twins when Malcolm was assassinated, February 21st, 1965. So now there's a, uh, a good article from the griot.com. Okay. There's a good article from the griot.com on, uh, Malika Shabazz also. And uh, we could try to pull this up here. We got this here from the griot and there was a, we shared the, social media post from uh, Bernice King as well, daughter of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, Betty Shabazz. Uh, this piece here from the Grio, we're going to go to clip four in just a second, Shakita. This piece here from the Grio, Malcolm, uh, uh, Malika Shabazz, daughter of Malcolm X, found dead in an apartment. Um, now, here is a picture of Dr. Betty Shabazz and the daughters back in uh, 1992, November 16th, 1992, uh, at a screening of the film Malcolm X. All right. Screening of the film Malcolm X. Okay. I remember when Malcolm X came out, I went to go see it in the theater. That was a, that was a phenomenal movie. Okay. There was some criticisms about the film. You know, Muhammad Ali wasn't portrayed in the movie, different things like this, but it was a mind blowing movie. Okay. And around the same time the, the, the movie came out, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, police confirmed uh, with the news outlet that, let me see, hold on back up here. Uh, okay. ABC News. Uh, we shared the story from ABC News on yesterday's show. Malika Shabazz, a daughter of civil rights leader, Malcolm X, um, okay, found dead. They should also say, uh, daughter of Dr. Betty Shabazz as well. You know, you notice I add that in, all right? It wasn't just Malcolm. It was, she was the daughter of Dr. Betty Shabazz also. Um, police confirmed with the news outlet, uh, ABC News that Shabazz's body was found inside her residence, found inside her residence just before 5 p.m. Her death is considered not to be uh, suspicious, and the cause of death has yet to be determined. Uh, Malika Shabazz and her twin sister, Malak, were born just months uh, after their famed uh, father was assassinated, Malcolm and his wife, uh, Betty Shabazz. Ha uh, had four other daughters, Malika and Malak are the couple's youngest uh, children. Okay. So when, when you look at African-American media, see, they're going to talk about Dr. Betty Shabazz. They're going to talk about the other children, things like this. You, you get more details on something like this than in uh, mainstream me media. Bernice King, the daughter of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Coretta Scott King, because in my social media post today, when I shared the post from Bernice King, I said daughter of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King, because last time I checked, men don't give birth to babies. Uh, Bernice King mourned the passing of uh, Malika Shabazz in a tweet Monday night. 
Uh, here's the actual tweet from Bernice King. And we'll share this also here. I'm deeply saddened by the death of Malika Shabazz. My heart goes out to her family, uh, the descendants of Dr. Betty Shabazz and Malcolm X. Dr. Dr. Shabazz was pregnant with Malika uh, and her twin sister Malak when brother Malcolm was assassinated. Be at peace, Malika. Now, for those that don't know, you, you watch this show, you notice, but those who may be tuning in for the first time, now here's a picture of Dr. Betty Shabazz with the twins. Um, Dr. King and Malcolm X were both 39 years old when they were assassinated. Okay. Those that watch this show, you know, we've talked about that before. And we, we talked about the book, Mark, the book, Mark, Martin Malcolm in the, uh, in America, a dream or a nightmare. And we dealt with how Malcolm George, the civil rights movement, when he officially separates from the nation of Islam, we've gone through all that and dealt with his speeches and talked about, uh, June 28th, 1964, when he delivers his by any means necessary speech and announcing the formation of the organization Afro-American Unity. We talk about uh, the Battle of the Bullet and we go through and, and talking about uh, and deal with how Malcolm was talking about um, registering the vote as independent voters and all of that. OK, and Malcolm going to speak uh, to SNCC uh, for Fannie Lou Hamer and and uh, Malcolm meeting with Coretta Scott King. Uh, in early 1965, wanted to meet with Dr. King, but Dr. King's in jail. We dealt with all that here on this show. The news of um, Malika Shabazz's death comes just a few days after two men who were charged and served uh, prison time for Malcolm X's murder were exonerated. We dealt with that extensively here on this show. And, you know, we we rebroadcast these shows on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network. And our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. So be sure to subscribe to both of those and turn on live notifications uh, so you know when we go live as well. And this deals with Muhammad uh, A. Aziz, formerly known as Norman 3X Butler, and Khalil Islam, formerly known as Thomas 15X Johnson. All right. So read this uh, piece here from thegrio.com as well. Good reporting from the Grio. Okay, uh, African American media is very much needed. The Grio is African American owned and operated, uh, owned by Byron Allen. All right, uh, I want to go to this clip. Let's go to uh, clip number four, Shakita. This is from uh, Black News Tonight, Dr. Mark Lamont Hill. Okay, take it off mute. Clip number four, I emailed it to you. All right. Um, okay. All right, play it, once, play it once it's ready. Joining me on Black News tonight, I'm Mark Lamont Hill. I start the show off with some very sad news. Malika Shabazz, the youngest daughter of Malcolm X, has passed away. The 56-year-old was found unconscious Monday inside her Brooklyn home. NYPD says her daughter is the one who found her. An official cause of death is pending. But police believe that it was of natural causes. Malika is one of six of the civil rights icon's daughters. Her death coming after two men were exonerated last week, the death of her father. 
condolences poured in on social media from people like New York Mayor Bill de Blasio and Martin Luther King's daughter, Bernice King. All right. Coming now to the trial All of right, three white men charged in the... Okay, pause it there. Okay, okay, you can stop the clip. Pause it there. All right, thank you. Okay, we're going to go to... Uh, we're going to go to clip number one here in just a second, dealing with Kevin Strickland. Clip number one from ABC News. Okay, let's go to another story. And we're coming up on a break here. Uh, Kevin Strickland. Now, I've been following this case. Uh, I've been following this case, and we got the news that we were waiting for um, today. All right. Kevin Strickland is exonerated after 43 years in prison. Um, we're going to give you some background information here on the other side of the break. But Washington Post has a big article about this. And when, when, when we see these exoneration cases, right, the majority of these people that are wrongfully convicted are African-Americans. And I'm not saying white people are not wrongfully convicted, but when we go look at these stories, the majority of them are African-Americans who are wrongfully convicted. Kevin Strickland exonerated after 43 years in prison, convicted by an all white jury in 1978 of, of triple murder in Kansas city, Missouri. He spent over four decades in prison for, for a crime um, the evidence shows he did not commit for the first time in more than four decades in prison. Kevin Strickland allowed himself to make a wish list of all the things that he would do if he were to be exonerated for a triple murder. He has long said he did not commit. There are two places that Kevin Strickland, a 62 year, a 62 year old, African-American man who was convicted by an all-white jury in 1979 and sentenced to life in prison without the chance of parole for 50 years. He hopes to see, two things he hopes to see, the ocean, which he has never visited in person, and his mother's grave. The ocean, which he has never visited in person, and his mother's grave. We'll deal with Kevin Strickland's exoneration on the other side of the break. Listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Kwanzaa is coming and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African-American flag, and a basket. Visit the KwanzaaShop.com, the KwanzaaShop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit the KwanzaaShop.com and place your order today. The KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday, the KwanzaaShop.com. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. 
So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. We are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's time for the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. The oldest radio station in town since 1922. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021, and we are live calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. Okay, uh, so right before the break, we were talking about Kevin Strickland. Uh, also, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We're here six days a week. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. Um, these other ones here are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. When you go to ours, It'll show my name. It says Michael. Shows my picture there, and our tag is dollar sign the A H N show, S H O W. Okay, let's go back to this. We're gonna go to clip. Uh, uh, we're going to clip one here in just a second, Shakita. Okay, so Kevin Strickland. We got the news today that many of us have been waiting for. In this case, another African American man wrongly convicted, wrongly convicted by an all white jury. 1979 he was 18 years old and here's a picture of kevin strickland uh that is from november 8th uh in an evidentiary hearing okay so kevin strickland said there are two places that he wants to go that he has not been able to go before to the ocean and to his mother's grave. He said, quote, if we don't stop at the grave site first, I'm going to get out of the car and I'm going to try to make it there on my hands and knees, end quote. Kevin Strickland told the Washington Post. Now, uh, Strickland will get that opportunity. A judge on Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021, exonerated Kevin Strickland, uh, after more than 43 years in prison, after more than 43 years in prison, making his case the longest confirmed wrongful conviction uh, case in Missouri's history. Okay, which is part of the, um, well, Missouri stayed loyal to the union. They were a slaveholding state. During the Civil War, Missouri stayed loyal to the Union. They were one of those border states. Uh, Missouri, 
Delaware, Maryland, Kentucky, they all stayed loyal to the union. They were allowed to keep their slaves. Um, even after the Emancipation Proclamation, January 1st, 1863, that's why people need to go read it. It did not free the slaves. Um, and just for the sake of history, Missouri comes into the union in 1820 as a slaveholding state also, part of the Missouri Compromise of 1820. Um, he was released shortly after the judge. Well, he So longest confirmed wrongful conviction case conviction case in Missouri's history and one of the longest standing such convictions in the nation's history. Kevin Strickland was released shortly after the judge issued his decision. Now, Kevin Strickland was convicted in 1978 of, of the murders of Sherry Black, 22 years old, Larry Ingram, um, 21 and John Walker, 20 years old, even though no physical evidence linked him to the crime scene, even though no physical evidence linked him to the crime scene. Now, family members provided alibis and the admitted killers said that Kevin Strickland was not there. And the admitted killers said that Kevin Strickland was not there. Now, the case was built on the testimony of Cynthia Douglas, the sole survivor and eyewitness who later attempted multiple times to recant her testimony because she said she was pressured by police. She tried Cynthia Douglas, the sole survivor and eyewitness, later attempted multiple times to recant her testimony because she said she was pressured by police. Now, Kevin Strickland was convicted by an all-white jury. Under, the, uh, under these strict circumstances, the court's confidence in Strickland's conviction is so undermined that it cannot stand and the judgment of conviction must be set aside, end quote, wrote Judge James Welsh on Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021. Quote, the state of Missouri shall immediately discharge Kevin Bernard from its custody, end quote. Now, I want to go to this clip here. This is from ABC News from November 11th. 2021. This gives some background history on Kevin Strickland's case. Let's go to clip number one, Shakita. Now to a major development in a case that we've been tracking for months here. 62-year-old Kevin Strickland has languished in a Missouri prison for more than four decades for a crime he says he did not commit. The local prosecutor agrees that he's innocent, but local laws and the governor and attorney general there have prevented Strickland from pleading his case until now. Kevin Strickland has been waiting for this day for 43 years. Mr. Strickland, how are you feeling today? Strickland describes himself as anxious as he finally gets his day in a Kansas City court. On Monday, Strickland took to the stand to testify at the start of an evidentiary hearing that could give him the ability to walk out of prison a free man after decades for a crime he says he didn't commit. 
And she found pretty guilty to this triple murder. Is that right? I know about that. And uh, I guess I just have to ask, um, why did they choose to I wasn't about to plead guilty to a crime I had absolutely nothing to do with. I wasn't going to do it. But you were facing the death penalty? Is that right? At 18 years old. And I knew the system worked, so I knew I would be vindicated. I would not take a plea deal and admit to something I did not do. Back in May, Jackson County Prosecutor Jean Peters Baker announced that her office found Strickland innocent of the triple homicide he was convicted of in 1979. It's Mr. Strickland. I am profoundly sorry for the harm um, that has come to you. But at that time, Missouri law prevented her from being able to release him or bring his case before a judge. We spoke with Baker back in June. Let's just call it what it is. This is wrong. And everyone that works in this system must find a way to do the right thing now. The right thing is getting Mr. Strickland out. Now Strickland is the first exoneration case being held in the state after a new law passed in August, which allowed Baker to file a petition on his behalf. Mr. Strickland, we have a lot riding on this hearing, is that right? The remainder of my life. It seems like a Strickland's family, who attended the proceedings, is hopeful he'll be vindicated and perhaps home in time for Thanksgiving. We've been uh, sort of uh, uh, set aside uh, for so long, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it seems like there's so much uh, bureaucracy involved. It's been a hard-fought road to get to this point. Strickland was supposed to receive an evidentiary hearing on August 11th. When we spoke to him in June, he was hopeful he'd see his ailing mother once he got out. It's going to be the first thing you do if and when you get out. Well, I mean, I hate to speak to a 62-year-old man say this, but I'm a mama boy, and I got to go see mama. I got to go my whole mama family, yeah. Strickland never got that wish. Procedural hurdles caused his case to be delayed and later dismissed. His mother passed away on August 21st. Even from that day, right, back in June, when it looked like things were going to go much more quickly, um, has been a roller coaster. The Attorney General um, filed several writs. That hearing got moved. The Attorney General then filed more writs, saying that the entire um, bench, like all the judges in the circuit court, could not hear Mr. Strickland's case. Missouri Governor Mike Parson has issued at least 168 pardons since taking office in 2018, including for Mike and Patricia McCloskey, the St. Louis couple who pleaded guilty to charges stemming from this incident where they waved guns at protesters outside their home in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. But the governor would not budge on Strickland's case, even with the local prosecutor and other state lawmakers calling for his release. There have been times where the governor says, well, that he hasn't seen a reason for him to jump the line. There was a backlog of pardon applications. The attorney general's office believes Strickland's conviction should be upheld. His case for exoneration largely hangs on this crucial piece of evidence. The most important piece of evidence was a recantation of a witness. She had since died, um, but she really did a good job documenting um, her recantation. The ex-husband of that witness, Cynthia Douglas, got into... Okay. 
pause right there. Uh, just back it up about 30 seconds to a minute. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. Now, once again, now this also deals with uh, who's in elected office. Governor Mike Parson, Republican, needs to be voted out of office. And you have Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, Republican, who is now running for U.S. Senate. He believe uh, Kevin Strickland committed the murders. Okay, this this is an example of how elections have consequences. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. This is the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Kwanzaa is coming and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African-American flag, and a basket. Visit thekwanzashop.com, thekwanzashop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit thekwanzashop.com and place your order today. Thekwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. Thekwanzashop.com Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black all positive all the time the largest black-owned streaming television network in the world bringing our people together worldwide controlling our messages our story our way black tv the way it should be black music black history and more 30 plus channels thousands of shows black on purpose television network subscribe now welcome back to the african history network show right here on 910 a.m the superstation the future radio i'm your host brother michael m hotel it is tuesday november 23rd 2021 and we are live right before the break we were talking about uh the story of kevin strickland uh he has been exonerated he's been in prison 43 years uh, for a triple murder he was convicted of in 1978, convicted by an all-white jury, okay? Uh, I want to go back to this clip from ABC News. Let's go back to the clip, Shakita. This fiery exchange with the AG's office after testifying that Douglas maintained Strickland's innocence until her death in 2015. Exoneration hearing wrapped with these closing arguments. The jury that heard them, heard that evidence, found Mr. Strickland guilty. There's not enough evidence to set that aside. I'm hopeful for what's going to come next. I now trust in you to return just a fraction of what we've all lost, what Mr. Strickland lost, 
by bringing him home. Strickland's fate now rests in the hands of Judge James Welsh, who's expected to rule later this month. Any bucket list item that you that you dream of, of being able to do? I want to go to the ocean. You know, I've never been on a beach. No, not, not even a man-made beach. I want to go out far in the ocean where you can't see any land, any direction. And not just go out there, but get in that water. All these years later, as he awaits yet another decision from the court, Strickland still has faith that one day we'll get to see the ocean. Mr. Strickland, what's your confidence level on how things are going so far? You're hopeful? I'm hopeful. A huge thanks to our partners at Kansas City KNBC for their help with this story. Okay, pause it right there. Okay, so very quickly here, we're going to go to... Uh, clip two uh, next Shakita from the Kansas camp from Kansas city.com. We're going to that in just a second here. Now it's something very important to look at is there's a lot of important things in this article. This is one I want to draw your attention to because we're pressed for time while legal experts and elected officials in both parties Democrat and Republican supported Kevin Strickland's case for exoneration. Top Republicans in Missouri pushed back. Top Republicans in Missouri pushed back. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who is running for U.S. Senate in 2022, said he believed Kevin Strickland committed the murders. This is an example of how elections have consequences. He's the attorney general in Missouri. Do you want him to be a U.S. senator? And he's going to be a Republican. Andrew Clark, an assistant attorney general, argued that Kevin Strickland not only uh, received a fair trial in 1979 by an all-white jury, but has, quote, worked to evade responsibility, end quote, for decades. This is what the assistant attorney general of Missouri said, Andrew Clark. Then we go to the wonderful governor of Missouri, Republican Governor Mike Parson. Governor Mike Parson, Republican, agreed with them, with uh, the attorney, with the uh, Missouri Attorney General uh, Eric Schmidt and the Assistant Attorney General of Missouri Andrew Clark, and. He said, and and, uh, and he said before Kevin Strickland, saying before Kevin Strickland was exonerated, that pardoning Kevin Strickland would not be a priority. This is what Governor Mike Parson said. Not long afterward, Governor Mike Parson pardoned the Republican Bonnie and Clyde, Mark and Patricia McCloskey, a white couple who gained national national notoriety for brandishing guns at peaceful social justice protesters in St. Louis last year and pleaded guilty to firearms charges. He gave them a pardon, but not Kevin Strickland. And they wound up speaking at the Republican National Convention and they're lauded as heroes, like Kyle Rittenhouse is lauded as heroes by Republicans and the, 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 the people on the right and extremists, all the, this nonsense. Okay, keep playing around. All you have to do is study what happened after Reconstruction ended the domestic terrorism in this country. 
and you see you can see a direct line to Wilmington, North Carolina, 1898, and even even during Reconstruction, Opelousa Massacre, 1868, uh, Vicksburg Massacre, 1874, Clinton, Mississippi Riot, 1875. There's a direct line between that and the domestic terrorism, uh, January 6, uh, 2021, and what's taking place right now. Okay, so those watching on Facebook and, and YouTube, keep watching. We're going to keep broadcasting for a few minutes and we're going to squeeze this last uh, story here dealing with the Gro uh, Groveland four. And I'm going to play an excerpt from what happened today. Um, and you're going to hear the uh, prosecutor. So KansasCity.com has this article. Now, the um, one of the, the many sad parts of the story. Okay. This is another example of how, uh, uh, politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and understanding uh, that laws and policies shape every aspect of our life. If we look at KansasCity.com, look at this piece from KansasCity.com about uh, what happened today in Kevin Strickland. Quote, I have nothing, end quote. Kevin Strickland will be freed but won't get a dime from Missouri because of Missouri state law. People, we don't, we have no idea of how laws impact every aspect of our life. But calling the radio shows every day, complaining about the negative effects of laws. Kevin Strickland, exonerated, spent 42 years in in a, in a Missouri prison for a crime that he and prosecute prosecutors say he did not commit. Prosecutors argued in a 25-page motion that Strickland's innocence is quote clear and convincing. Okay, now. Uh, Judge James Welch ordered his release of Kevin Strickland, 62, uh, after Jackson County prosecutors using using a new state law, once again, goes back to laws, using a new state law, argued he was innocent in a 1978 triple murder in Kansas City and should not remain in custody a day longer. Uh, in Missouri, the wrongfully convicted are always spit out of the system with nothing from the government that imprisoned them. The, the wrongfully convicted in the state of Missouri are always released from the system with nothing from the government that imprisoned them. Imprisoned them. Instead, they rely on nonprofit, nonprofit organizations and other exonerees to get back on their feet post-conviction, lawyers say. Uh, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching. We're going to keep broadcasting. We're out of time here on 19 a.m. Superstation WFDF. Right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Okay, stand by, everybody. Stand by. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese. Because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. 
We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's the Speed the Ghost, L-O-X-D block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the Matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. Welcome back to the African History Network show. All right. So we were talking about Kevin Strickland and in Missouri, um, if you're wrongfully convicted, like in the situation of Kevin Strickland and, and later exonerated, um, you can't sue the state. Okay. You can't sue the state and get compensation, uh, et cetera. All right. Um, and the law has to be changed in Missouri. In Missouri, the wrongfully convicted are almost always spit out of the system with nothing from the government that imprisoned them. Instead, they rely on nonprofit organizations and other exonerees to get back on their feet, post-conviction lawyers say. That's because Missouri's compensation law only allows, uh, only allows for payments to prisoners who prove their innocence through a specific DNA testing statute, who prove their innocence through a specific DNA testing statute, which once again deals with law, written by lawmakers who were voted into office. That was not the case for Kevin Strickland or most exonerees across America. Unlike guilty prisoners, unlike guilty prisoners, a parole officer will, will not help Kevin Strickland find counseling, housing, or work. Okay, because he's not being paroled, he's being exonerated from prison because he was wrongfully convicted. And unlike exonerees in some other states, he will not be eligible through a compensation package for social services, such as participating in the state's healthcare program. This deals with state law. This deals with state law in Missouri. Unlike guilty prisoners, a parole officer will not help Kevin Strickland find counseling, housing, or work. And unlike exonerees in some other states, he will not be eligible through a compensation package for social services, such as participating in the state's healthcare program. Kevin Strickland previously told the Kansas City Star that he plans to stay with one of his brothers for a short time. During an interview with ABC News, he quipped about having so little that he might use a cardboard box to, quote, get up under a bridge somewhere, end quote. The reporter asked 
if Kevin Strickland was serious, he replied, I mean, what do I have? Who uh, He now uses a wheelchair. He said, quote, if they would tell me to roll out now, they'd take this chair. I'd have to crawl out. Uh, I, I, would, I would have to crawl out of the front door. I have nothing. I have nothing. Here's a picture of him in the wheelchair. Sean O'Brien, a University of Missouri, uh, Kansas City law professor who has helped free innocent prisoners, said Missouri should adopt a compensation law. Once again, dealing with laws, Missouri should, should adopt a compensation law similar to the one in neighboring Kansas, which in 2018 passed a measure making the wrongfully convicted eligible to receive $65,000 in compensation for each year they were incarcerated. So if he, if he had been incarcerated in nearby Kansas, he would, I mean, uh, in nearby Kansas, he would get $65,000 for each year he's in prison, for 42, 43 years he's in prison. But since he was in prison in Missouri, he gets nothing because of Missouri's dumbass state law. They talked about this on Roland Martin and Filter today. Roland did a really good segment dealing with uh, Kevin Strickland today. For Kevin Strickland, that law would have made him eligible in the, the law in Kansas would have made him eligible for more than $2.7 million. In other recent exonerations in the area, Kansas paid uh, Lamont McIntyre $1.55 million for serving 23 years for two murders he did not commit in Kansas City, Kansas. Okay, nearby now. He was in, um, he was convicted, uh, Kevin Strickland was convicted in Missouri, nearby next door, Missouri. Okay, in this case, Lamont McIntyre served 23 years for two murders he did not commit in Kansas, Kansas City, Kansas, the state of Kansas. He received $1.55 million because of Kansas state law. Local attorneys say they tend to see Kansas exonerees fare better than those in Missouri. In the show me state, quote, if exonerees are doing well, it's in spite of the system, not because of it, end quote, said O'Brien, who has worked with exonerees for 17 years. In Missouri, the only way Kevin Strickland will receive compensation is if lawmakers pass a bill ordering the state to pay him, which once again deals with law. Le legal experts say, which once again deals with law. That's why it's important who you vote for in your state legislature and your governor. There are no perfect candidates. But there's some horrible candidates and a lot of them in the in office in the in in Missouri. 
in other states also. Exonerees can also sue, but they have to show that police or prosecutors acted in bad faith, which is an uphill battle. Instead, Kevin Strickland will rely on an, on an online fundraiser that had as recently that had that had as of recently raised about fifty thousand dollars. That's around nine hundred dollars for each year. He was behind bars, donated by everyday citizens, is donated to by everyday citizens. Okay, I'm sure after um, word gets out about this, that more people are going to donate. Uh, in a previous interview with the star, Jackson County prosecutor, Gene Peters Baker said, there is no doubt Missouri should broaden its compensation law. There must be a better model. She said than providing exonerees, nothing. There must be a better model than providing exonerees, nothing, especially when the system knows it made the mistake. Okay, well, especially when he was when you railroaded by an all white jury. And 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 then, you know. This is this is just a screw. This is just a total miscarriage of justice. I mean, this is like. Um, this is like. Uh, Muhammad A. Aziz and Khalil Islam wrongfully convicted for the assassination of Malcolm X. And there was evidence that most likely would have exonerated them at their trial that was withheld by the FBI and New York City Police Department. Okay, so we'll post a link here to this article and they have the link in here to the uh, fundraiser for Kevin Strickland. So you can donate to that if you want to. Um, okay, let's continue here. Okay, so, uh, oh, I wanted to go to what happened today. Jackson County's prosecutors have determined that Kevin Strickland, who spent 40 plus years in prison for a 1978 murder, is innocent. The Midwest Innocence Project has filed a petition to overturn the conviction. I want to go to, um, because this is, I think this is from today. Hold on, let me cue this up. Okay, it's playing the ad. We get past that ad. Okay, next we're going to what happened in court today. Um, the jury is deliberating in the McMichael uh, Bryan murder trial in uh uh dealing with uh the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. Okay, let's go to this clip here. Hold on. Um I'm gonna go to this. Hey, we have filed a petition for Robert Habeas Corpus to the Missouri Supreme Court asking to turn overturn his conviction because he is actually innocent. And we are not taking this to court with just our word for it. After review by the Conviction Integrity Unit, and you will hear from later, the Jackson County Prosecutor has also determined that Mr. Strickland is innocent. And every official presented with the materials has agreed that his conviction should be overturned. Because of that, I'm here advocating for Mr. Strickland's freedom 
and that his conviction um, should be vacated. Most importantly, though, I'm advocating that this man must be freed immediately. My job is to protect the innocent. And often, uh, prosecutors show hubris, right? You've probably seen me show some of that from time to time. And today, um, my job is to apologize. It is important to recognize when the system has made wrongs. And what we did in this case was wrong. So to Mr. Strickland, I am profoundly sorry. I am profoundly sorry for the harm um, that has come to you. It is not, however, just Mr. Strickland that I owe an apology to. It is to the victim's families in this case, uh, to the victim Larry Ingram and his family, to Sherry Black and her family, to John Walker and his family, and even to Cynthia Douglas and her family. She too was a victim. I suppose that I could stop there, um, but harms like this um, extend beyond criminal defendants and uh, those with the title of victim. It goes to the broader community. And to that end, um, I want to tell this community that I represent um, that I find this mistake in this system to be profound, to be one um, that I should take every ounce of energy I have to correct. I am sorry for um, this mistake made by this system. There unfortunately is no timeline when these, when these filings happen, right? So the next steps will be up to the Missouri Supreme Court, what those steps are and what they look like. So. How often does something, well, you have something? Yeah, I was just going to add, Mr. Strickland is one of the few, um, I think, that was convicted under this hard 50 rule in Missouri. And um, so there is a potential for his release, I think, uh, you know, under that hard 50 rule having served 43 years. So some of that is still in question about, you know, how that time gets compounded. Um, but I think what's clear, um, Mr. Strickland has made very clear, he, he seeks full exoneration rather than just release. I think that um, I certainly owed him that phone call and, um, and he, I believe what I, how I would describe it is he gave me a lot of grace in receiving uh, that call uh, from me from this office and we didn't have to. So um, I guess that's what I would say. Yeah. If you have all this overwhelming evidence to say that he's innocent, what, what is the holdup? Why is he still there? Uh, no, it actually goes back a little bit to the question of, you know, if it's so difficult, why do it? I think there's a lot of things that we can learn, which is also why is the process so difficult and does it have to be? Uh, one of the things we talk about a lot in our office is a, a law was passed back in 1996, which was called the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act, which said, made all these technicalities that kept people out of being able to file. And so now if they file, it's an argument about whether or not they even get to be in court and not about the issues that they are raising, right? So in the terms of, of Mr. Strickland, he's filed other things before to say on his own, pro se, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. And the argument is always, well, do you even get to be in court and not does this evidence show you're innocent, or is this the right thing to do? So I think that there are things that we can be thinking about, which is how do we change a system to get to the merits, to get to what matters, right, and make it 
um, make it more effective for what we're looking to do. Okay, so that was um, the, I'm not sure the exact, exact date of uh, that video, but that was the Jackson County prosecutors. Um, and they were talking about filing to uh, have Kevin Strickland free. Now, just uh, so people understand, they were not the prosecutors that convicted him back in 1979, just so people understand, okay? Uh, so read this, read, uh, read this article here from the um, from KansasCity.com. Um, we'll read the, uh, actually read the one from Washington Post and uh, also the one from KansasCity.com. Um, KansasCity.com, name of the article, I have nothing. Kevin Strickler will soon be freed, but won't get a dime from Missouri. And uh, this was updated November 23rd, 2021. Okay. And then also read the one from uh, the Washington Post. Kevin Strickland exonerated after 43 years and won the longest wrongful convictions in u.s history okay um that's just uh convicted by an all-white jury in uh in, in the 1978 triple murder he was convicted in 1979 um and then you know you read this and you have let's see what uh okay fourth fourth or fifth paragraph um okay he was convicted of the murders in 1978 even though no physical evidence linked him to the crime scene even though no physical evidence linked him to the crime scene he was just railroaded Fam his family members provided alibis and the admitted killers said he was not there and the admitted killers said he was not there. The case was built on the testimony of Cynthia Douglas, the sole survivor of the murders, and eyewitness. Okay, she was the sole survivor of the murders and the sole eyewitness. She later attempted multiple times to recant her testimony because she says she was pressured by police. Okay, uh, so we have that one and then the one from Kansas City Star. And, and this one here has the link to the uh, fundraiser for Kevin Strickland, okay? So you can donate to that if you want to. I'm gonna donate to it. It's just, and, and the laws in, in Missouri have to be changed so that um, prisoners who are, who are wrongfully convicted like this and then exonerated, they can get compensation. Okay, you know. All right, let's go to this next story. Um, okay, so. 
or African-American men exonerated. Or this is another exoneration case. Okay, now these, these brothers have passed away. Um, the Groveland Four. I posted an article about this on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, on Monday. And they were wrongfully accused of a rape of a white woman in 1949 in Florida. Okay, so, you know, um, if you know anything about the history of Florida, I mean, just uh, 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 Jackie Robinson was chased out of Sanford, Florida. And uh, Florida was probably the first state to have poll taxes. That was uh, 1889. That was even before Mississippi got poll taxes. Mississippi got poll taxes in uh, 1890 at the Mississippi uh, uh, State Convention where they rewrote the Constitution, the Mississippi State Constitution, to suppress the African-American vote. The Groveland Four, the Groveland Four, the black men accused in 1949 get case dismissed. A hearing in Florida to toss the Jim Crow era convictions of Charles Greenlee, Walter Irvin, Samuel Shepard, and Ernest Thomas resulted in a rare finding, resulted in a rare finding. Now here's a picture here. Uh, this is from 1949. This is uh, from left. Okay, so you have uh, Lake County Sheriff Willis McCall. Okay, from left, Lake County Sheriff Willis McCall, white, and an unidentified man stand next to Walter Irvin, Samuel Shepard, and Charles Greenlee in Florida in 1949. So they were wrongfully convicted of the rape of a white woman. In the summer of 1949, a 17-year-old uh, lodged an accusation, lodged an accusation that would thrust the rural Florida community of Groveland into decades-long turmoil. A white teenager told police she and her husband were driving home uh, from a dance when they were attacked by four young black men who abducted and raped her at gunpoint. Who abducted and raped her at gunpoint. The claims made by Norma Paget who is now in her 80s, set off a manhunt that spurred an onslaught of violence against African-American residents in Groveland near Orlando, near Orlando, Florida. Now, you know what happened in Florida in 1923, January 1923 in Rosewood, right? And, and that was that they destroyed the town of Rosewood, Florida. These white people destroyed the town of Rosewood, Florida, looking for a fictitious black man because a white woman lied 
and said that a black man broke into her house and assaulted her. Now, she didn't say he sexually assaulted her, but once it got relayed to the good old boys, they interpreted it as she was sexually assaulted. But what happened was she was cheating on her husband with, a, with, with she was cheating on her husband with another white man and her white lover beat her behind and she lied and said it was an African-American man who did it. So they go and, and, and nearby there was a Klan convention taking place. So these white people come into the town of Rosewood, Florida. It's about population, about 200 people, almost all African-Americans except for the general store owner. And they uh, kill a number of African-Americans, hunt them down, trying to find a fictitious black man, uh, burnt houses, things like this. But they, they, they ran the African-Americans out of town. They left their belongings, left their land, left their homes behind. And the town of Rosewood, Florida, was wiped off of the map. When you studied, when you studied Rosewood, and what happened? They removed white people, removed Rosewood, Florida from the map, and took these people, took these African Americans' property. Also, it, it wasn't until decades later that the survivors were able to get some type of uh, some type of uh, uh, compensation led by uh, Arnett Doctor. Arnett Doctor, it, it, so the, the movie Rosewood, directed by John Singleton, starring Ving Rhames. Um, the movie is really different than like the real history of Rosewood. I've done a, I've done a presentation on like the real history of Rosewood comparing it to the movie. But long story short, because I have a whole nother segment to get to. Um, it's going to be decades later that the survivors are able to get some type of compensation led by Arnett Doctor. That was his name, Arnett Doctor. He's portrayed in the movie. He's a little boy in the movie. Uh, and then the character that Bing Rains plays, the character of Man, M-A-N-N, Man. Man doesn't even exist. He's a, he's a fictitious character. He's probably a composite character probably a composite of um, real real people in their actions just compiled into one character. But the character of man, when you actually study the history of the Rosewood Massacre, man doesn't even exist. Okay. So let's continue here. Um, so the claims made by Norma Paget, who is now 80 years old, set off a manhunt that spurred an onslaught of violence against African-American residents of Groveland, Florida, near Orlando, mobilizing the National Guard and prompting Thurgood Marshall, then a lead attorney for the NAACP, to take up the cause of the men who would come to be known as the Groveland Four the men who would come to be known as the Groveland Four. Now, there was a, um, let me see, I'm going to see if we can get to this here. There was a segment from, I think, Black News Tonight, where they talk about the Groveland Four. And I'm going to try to pull up that 
clip here. Let's see here. Let me get to that. Uh, okay, I need I need to go into. I think I had a bookmark. Just so I was trying to pull this up. Uh, I thought I saw a clip on that. Okay, we'll we'll come back to this. All right, I'll come back to that. Now, okay, let's continue. Um, it took seven decades. It took seven decades before the state of Florida formally recognized how the four accused, Charles Greenlee, Walter Irvin, Samuel Shepard, and Ernest Thomas, were failed by the criminal justice system. It took seven decades. Ernest Thomas was gunned down by a mob in the wake of uh, Norma Paget's allegations. And the others also since died. And the others also since died. Governor Ron DeSantis, who some people, I think they call him Ron DeSatan, because uh, he does some devilish things. Governor Ron DeSantis issued the Groveland for a posthumous pardon. Bless his heart. But Monday morning, a circuit court judge in Lake County went further, clearing the charges against uh, the men and issuing a ruling that effectively exonerated them of the crime. Issuing a ruling that effectively exonerated them of the crime. Bill Gladson, a local prosecutor, set the extraordinary move into motion last month when he filed paperwork to toss uh, Thomas and Shepard's indictments and set aside the sentences and judgments imposed on Greenlee and Irvin. Quote, we followed the evidence to see where it led us. We followed the evidence to see where it led us. Gladson said at a news conference following the uh, judge's decision. Now, Carol Greenlee, the daughter of Charles Greenlee, who at 16 years old was the youngest of the suspects, wept and fell into the arms of those next to her as a judge formally dismissed the charges. She said, if you know something is right, stand up for it. She said uh, later of the lesson she learned, be persistent. Now, in, a, in an earlier statement, Carol Greenlee said that despite uh, proclamations from the governor and the state legislature and a monument dedicated in honor of the Groveland Four, the families were awaiting, quote unquote, full justice. The families were awaiting full justice from the judicial branch to feel vindicated. The families were waiting full justice 
from the judicial branch, the courts, to feel vindicated. Among those who traveled to Florida to witness the court's decision was uh, Marshall's son, Thurgood Marshall Jr. Okay, Thurgood Marshall's son, Thurgood Marshall Jr. And let me see here. Over. Okay. Quote, there are countless people we need to remember who suffered similar fates who have been lost to history, end quote, Thurgood Marshall Jr. said at the news conference. Quote, perhaps all of the cases my father worked on, perhaps of all the cases my father worked on, this, this one haunted him for many, many years. Perhaps of all the cases my father worked on, this one haunted him for many, many years, and he believed there were better days ahead, end quote. Now, the Groveland Four uh, became a disturbing example of racial injustice from the Jim Crow era and preceded the high-profile killing, lynching of Emmett Till, who was uh, 14 years old, who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955 by J.W. Millam and Roy, and Roy Bryant after he was accused of whistling at a white woman. Such incidents show how the desire to protect white women was used to justify racism and the oppression of African-Americans' rights, said Gilbert King, who, whose book, Devil in the Grove, which investigated the Groveland Four case and won the Pulitzer Prize for nonfiction in 2013, okay, in 2013. And let me put this up here, Groveland Four. Change the caption. All right. Now, um, Okay, let's continue here. Okay, so uh, Bill Gladson's appeal to ask a judge to dismiss charges against the Groveland Four was not based on whether Norma Paget uh, may be lying. Uh, King said, but rather on the prosecutorial misconduct in the fabrication of evidence at the time, rather on the prosecutorial misconduct and the fabrication of evidence at the time. Now, Norma Pageant had said the couple's car had stalled as they drove home from the dance when they, when they were confronted by four African-American men who attacked her husband before abducting and raping her. Following her accusations, a mob of hundreds of white men led by 
uh, Lake County Sheriff Willis McCall, and and Willis McCall is uh, on the left here in the picture. Following her accusations, a mob of hundreds of white men, led by Lake County Sheriff Willis McCall, tracked uh, Thomas to a uh, swamp. To a swamp. That was uh, Ernest Thomas. Tracked Ernest Thomas to a swamp where they found him asleep and shot him more than 400 times. They tracked, er, led by this uh, good old boy sheriff, Lake County Sheriff Willis McCall. They tracked them to Ernest Thomas, who was in a swamp. where they found Ernest Thomas asleep and they shot him more than 400 times. Meanwhile, uh, Charles Greenlee, Irvin and Shepard, Walter Irvin, Charles Greenlee, Walter Irvin and Samuel Shepard were arrested and later convicted by all white juries. Like Kevin Strickland had an all white jury. And um, the Michael Bryan uh, murder trial, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, they have an almost all white jury. It's basically 11 white people and one African American. Now, Thurgood Marshall who years later became the first African-American Supreme Court justice, had helped uh, Irvin and Shepard win appeals to, their, uh, to have their cases retried, okay, Walter Irvin and Samuel Shepard. In 1951, while, Walter, while uh, Walter Irvin and Samuel Shepard were being transported, uh, McCall shot the men. Okay, the um, uh, the sheriff, Lake County Sheriff Willis McCall. McCall shot the men, claiming they tried to escape. Now, uh, Samuel Shepard, a World War II veteran, was killed. But uh, Irvin survived and was convicted, even though a uh, even though an FBI agent testified that prosecutors manufactured evidence against them. Now here's a picture: uh, relatives of the Groveland Four, including Carol Greenlee. Uh, on the right at a monument that was uh, unveiled in front of the Old Lake County Courthouse in Tavares, uh, Florida on February 21st, 2020. And it shows a picture here, uh, it says in memory of the Groveland Four. Okay, but it shows a picture here. So Carol Greenlee's on the right. Now, is a let me see. Um, 
Hold on, there's a clip I wanted to go to. Just one second, let's see if I can find this. I saw it when I was preparing for the show. Oh, okay, let's click right here. Uh, what is this? Okay, this is from Charles Blow's show. Uh, could Grovel and Ford exoneration lead to more? Um, could Grovel and Ford exoneration lead to more exonerations? Okay, let's see. Let's cue this up just a second. I want to go to this clip here. All right. Um, let's cue this up. Okay. Stand by. We'll, uh, we'll take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Mental health and well being have long been a taboo subject in the so called African American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. We are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's time for the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. In July of 1949, a white woman wrongfully accused three black men and one teenager in a case that came to be known as the Groveland Four. Charles Greenlee, Walter Irving, and Samuel Shepard were arrested and convicted by an all-white jury. The fourth, Ernest Tom uh, Thomas, was murdered by a mob led by the Lake County Sheriff shortly after the accusations. They shot him over 400 Times The false claims made by Norma Padgett, uh, who is now in her 80s, caused terror to rain down on the black residents of Groveland, prompting an intervention by the National Guard. According to recent interviews with the grandson of the now-deceased prosecutor, both the local prosecutor and the judge knew that there was never a rape. Today, more than 70 years later, all four men have been exonerated. A circuit court judge in Florida cleared the cases against the men and issued a posthumous ruling, an attempt at a loan for one of the worst miscarriages of justice of the Jim Crow era. But none of the men were alive to see it. 
after the Supreme Court overturned the original convictions in 1951, the same local sheriff fatally shot Shepard and wounded Irving as he drove them to the second trial. Irving, a World War II veteran, died one year after he was paroled in 1968. Greenlee, who was 16 years old when he was convicted, died in 2012. All four of their families gathered at the hearing and celebrated the ruling. My next guest helped inspire the reexamination of the case with his Pulitzer Prize winning book, Devil in the Grove. Joining me now to discuss is Gilbert King. I, Gilbert, I really wanted to have that book. I have, I have it here somewhere on this bookshelf, but I can't <laughs> find it. <laughs> uh, no worries. Anyway, so I want to just get your, your, your opinion of, of what has happened here today and, and the exonerations. Yeah, sure. You know, it was an amazing day. I, I've got to be with the family over the years for the, the apology, the pardon, and today the exonerations. And, um, you know, it was a long time coming. And these families have been so patient over 72 years. I mean, Carol Greenlee, the um, daughter of Charles Greenlee, was was born the day or, or the year, the same year of the conviction. And so every year it marks another milestone and it's 72 years have passed. And she knew that her father was innocent of this accusation and this crime. And um, I, I think just to see her smile and, and her reaction to the judge's um, you know, decision today made everything worthwhile because it just showed this bottled up um, dream of just being exonerated and what that feels like. Right. It, it's really important to the families, as you say, uh, to the people who are convicted or charged, if they are still alive. How important do you think it is, however, to, to society overall that we revisit these injustices and even if the people are not around, that we make it right? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question. I, I think about it all the time. And, you know, one of the things that you know, it's it's hard to just imagine these families going back home and saying, yes, we've got these exonerations, but we lost these lives. This is not coming back. That whole life was just destroyed. And, and, and in effect, it, just, it destroyed families, multiple families, multiple victims over the years. Um, but here's why it's important. I think it's important for these states like Florida, and I, I really do commend the state of Florida for doing this, um, because not not every state has done this. Not every state has been aggressively pursuing these these kind of um, injustices and, and trying to make a correction. I think it improves the integrity and the accountability of the criminal justice system. If you can have a state attorney's office or a prosecutorial office look back and say, we got this wrong, we admit it, it just improves the credibility going forward. You want to have the integrity of the criminal justice system. And, and it's a really good start to start to recognize some of these cases that were just abominations of justice. And as soon as you start doing that and recognizing that this happened in the past, you can right. start to identify the similar cases in the present. And, and one of the things I've learned right. on this entire journey is that prosecutors have heart too. And sometimes they're the first line right. of defense and they make a difference and no one's gonna write a book about that. Right. So among the 375 people who have been exonerated in this country, 60% of them have been black, according to the Innocence Project. What, what do you make of that incredible imbalance? 
you know, to me, it's just like, look at American history and you go back until days after the Civil War when this country tried to get through Reconstruction and what they decided was, since America had lost interest, they won the war, they didn't want to talk about this, we wanted America to repair, they allowed the South to create this uh, criminal justice system that really blurred the lines between white supremacists, Klansmen, and law enforcement. And from that day, you had the birth of mass incarceration and this racial narrative that has crept into law enforcement that exists to this day. And so to me, that is the legacy. This is what these cases from the past really expose. And this is a problem for America because we have way too many people in prison and it's disproportionate to the rest of the world. And it's because it's built on this original sin of American slavery. And that's where we are today. Right. Gilbert King, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And pat yourself on the back. It is your work and your book that helped to get us to this day. Thank you so much for your work, sir. So if we look at the what happened uh, in court today, uh, the, okay, uh, we look at the McMichael Bryan uh, murder trial, and the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, once again, is not the Ahmaud Arbery trial. It's uh, when you look at the case, it's Georgia versus uh, McMichael, Georgia versus Brian. It's Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, and William Bryan who were on trial. So the uh, prosecution did their rebuttal uh, closing argument today. And the jury is deliberating. Um, let me see here. And the jury is, is uh, deliberating. So if we look at the updates from the New York Times, the judge, the judge sent the jury home after the first day of deliberations. The jury will, res will resume discussing on Wednesday. They're coming back at 8.30 a.m. They wanted to work later today. It appears that they're close to a verdict. We'll have to see. Um, some people are some people are estimating that because Thanksgiving holiday is coming up, they want to go ahead and get a and get a verdict before Thanksgiving. Now, if they don't have they do, if they don't come out with a verdict on Wednesday. They'll have Thanksgiving Day off, and they'll come back to deliberations on Friday. But the case is pretty clear. The evidence is overwhelming against the defendants. Uh, let's see here. There's one part I want to go to. Okay, let's. Uh, let me go to this clip. I want to find. Uh, uh, the section I wanted to find here. Let's go to uh, NBC Nightly News about what happened today in court. For the family and friends of Ahmad Arbery, after months of agony, the jury in this case now deliberating. 
I do think that we will come back with a guilty verdict. We will get justice for mine. At points during the prosecution's rebuttal, graphic photographs of the crime scene causing Ahmad Arbery's mom to cover her face. Three men in this case face nine charges, including aggravated assault and murder with malice aforethought, which can be formed in an instant. It has nothing to do with anger or hatred for a person. Instead, it deals exclusively with the concept of intent. Intent to kill, intent to cause serious bodily harm. The prosecutor telling the jury a self-defense claim cannot apply when you create the danger and confront an unarmed victim. This isn't the Wild West. He must Mr. Armory with the gun. A message they hope sticks with the jury. What's potentially the power of these last two hours being the final thing the jury will hear before they start deliberating? So you have a fresh jury. Uh, the jury has had all the evidence, and so uh, it's great that right before they go into deliberation, they'll be hearing from the prosecution, making their case, and hopefully getting a conviction. Throughout the trial, the defense staking its case on a series of neighborhood burglaries. They say the three defendants were trying to peacefully confront a man they believed was at least trespassing. These are real experiences, real people who were very scared. And so they took it upon themselves to do something about it. Now, the fates of three men and the families devastated by their actions hanging in the balance. So, Sam, what's the plan for this jury now? Will they be deliberating throughout the Thanksgiving week? Last door originally was thought the jurors might recess early for the holiday, but now the Sheriff's Department says they have the option to deliberate throughout the week, the holiday, Friday, maybe even Saturday. They almost went late tonight, Lester. We'll be back at 8.30 in the morning. Okay, so that is from uh, NBC Nightly News, Tuesday, November 23rd. Let me check that out at NBC.com. Uh, All right. If we look, I want to look quickly here at this article, then we're out of here. Um, okay, the uh, okay, jury to resume deliberating on Wednesday. Uh, the piece I want to look at is the jury will now weigh multiple interlocking charges in the Arbery murder trial. It's not the Arbery murder, it's the murder trial and the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, but it's the Michael Bryan murder trial. If we look at this here from uh, New York Times and their updates, the task before the jury in Brunswick, Georgia, is not just a matter um, It's not just a, a matter of deciding between guilty or not guilty on a particular charge. The jurors must sort through a matrix of interlocking charges and different forms of culpability or responsibility that can depend on one another and different forms of culpability or, or, or responsibility that depend upon one another. Here are some, here are some of the complications. Could they all be guilty of what any of them did? Could they all be guilty of what any of them did? 
Now, the indictment charges the three defendants, Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, William Bryan, both individually and as, quote, parties concerned in the commission of a crime. Parties concerned in the commission of a crime. Now, under the law, if the jury finds that one of the men committed a felony, it can convict them all of that crime. Okay, under Georgia state law, if the jury finds that one of the men committed a felony, it can convict them all of that crime on the basis that they were acting together. This issue is especially important for William Bryan, whose lawyer, Kevin Goff, has tried to distance him from the other two defendants, arguing that William Bryan was just a witness to events and had no hand in actually harming Ahmaud Arbery. Does it matter what the men set out to do? Does it matter what the men set out to do? Now, to convict on the top charge, malice murder, the jury would have to find that the men had a deliberate intention to kill. Okay, the, 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 the jury would have to find that the men had a deliberate intention to kill without considerable provocation. But the other murder charges in the indictment do not depend on whether the three men meant to kill Ahmaud Arbery. Defense lawyers have argued that the men were attempting to make a citizen's arrest, even though they did not tell Ahmaud Arbery they were trying to make a citizen's arrest, and even though they didn't tell the police who arrived on the scene that they were trying to effectuate the citizen's arrest. They ain't say that then. The prosecution has argued they had no justification for a citizen's arrest and could not claim self-defense because they instigated the confrontation and they chased them out of Arbery for five minutes. Now, the lesser charges create four paths to felony murder. The lesser charges create four paths to felony murder. The men are accused each of four other serious felonies besides murder. But each of, the, but each of those charges also lead to a murder conviction. Okay, the men are each accused of four other serious felonies besides murder. But each of those charges could also lead to a murder conviction. Now, under Georgia state law, and all this deals with law, politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, foreign resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. And you have law enforcement and you have the courts. And courts interpret law under Georgia state law, causing a person's death in the course of committing another felony is murder. Quote, irrespective of malice, end quote. In other words, regardless of whether the death was intentional or accidental, under Georgia state law, causing a person's death in the uh, course of committing another felony is murder. Okay, regardless of mal malice, regardless of whether the death was intentional, intentional 
or accidental. Different states, um, murder is the, the, the elements that are needed to um, get a conviction on murder vary from state to state. You're dealing with state law. And, 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 and um, the Tenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution gives states rights so they can have variations in these various laws. So if the jurors find the men guilty of any of these crimes, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, the shotgun, Travis Michael shotgun, aggravated assault with something with something likely to cause serious bodily harm, pickup trucks, false imprisonment, the citizen's arrest, or attempted false imprisonment. And then find, and then find Ahmad Arbery's death was caused along the way. They could convict the men of felony murder as well, without having to find that they intended or tried to kill him. So the jury has to deliberate over these interlocking charges. One count against William Bryan. The jury can consider reduced uh, on on one count against William Bryan. The jury can consider reduced charges. The judge said in his instructions to the jury, Judge Wamsley, that on one count in the indictment, aggravated assault involving the pickup trucks, they could consider whether one of the defendants, William Bryan was instead guilty of a reduced charge of simple assault, reckless conduct, or reckless driving. They could consider whether uh, William Bryan was instead guilty of a reduced charge of simple assault, reckless conduct, or reckless driving. Those are misdemeanors in Georgia, not felonies, so a conviction on one of the reduced charges would not expose William Bryan to a felony murder charge in connection with that count. So this is what the this is what the jury has to determine. Okay, exactly what are they exactly what are they guilty of? Which charges are they guilty of? And they're interlocking charges. Okay, uh, so read this. Read the updates from the. New York Times and read this piece here from the New York Times. The jury will now weigh multiple interlocking charges in the uh, uh, McMichael Bryant murder trial and the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. All right. So, okay, so we got that. We got that. And um, lastly, here let's see this. Let's squeeze in this clip. This is my girl Candace Kelly, who we was co-panelist on Roller Martin Unfiltered last Friday, and she does uh, legal analysis for uh, the Black News Channel. And she was on Start Your Day. 
uh, with Sherry. Uh, she was on today talking about the case. She was on this morning talking about the case. So let's see. We're going to squeeze this clip in here. Then we're out of here after that. Let's see which. Uh, okay, let's go to this clip here. And they were talking about what happened in Monday in court during uh, closing arguments from uh, from the defense. This uh, yesterday was a justice correspondent. Candace Kelly joins us now. Good morning to you, Candace. Uh, yesterday was a long day. And good morning, a triggering day as well. Um, do we know how long the prosecution's rebuttal will take today? You know, more than likely about an hour and a half based upon the map that he gave him as the prosecution had three hours for opening and there were um, three uh, closings by the defense here. So she's once again going to take her time and walk us through those facts like she did just yesterday. Walk us through the defense closing arguments and, and let's start with the long, dirty toenails and the impact you think it had. Clearly coded language to a jury of 11 white people, one person of color. Absolutely. Listen, you have somebody talking about toenails at a time where somebody is dead. And the toenails represented that this was someone who could not take care of himself, someone who was not taken care of, someone who might have had some type of a mental illness or disposition, someone who was just wayward and didn't know what they were about. And just this stereotype that black people just are unclean animals. And that's where this went. And this is why we heard a verbal, wow, I know I heard it, in the middle of this courtroom. And as I was taking I notes, I thought, yeah, I, I was sure. And I said, I was taking notes. I thought to myself, I'm not sure what these toenails had to do with the case or if it was even ever brought up, which is one of the things that attorneys have to follow in terms of those rules. So I couldn't make sense of it till I made sense of it to say this was just really a dig. This was just something that she thought would get the jurors attention. But listen, Sharon, the way that we are all reacting, and I think that any mother and her child, right, because this is a mother who clipped that son's baby. I don't think that it sat well with the jury at all. It was offensive. It was off-putting, and we heard Lee Merritt say yesterday that this is really the time where we call the Georgia State Bar Association. Certainly, Sharon, we had the opportunity and reason to do it way before now, but this was just unacceptable. This was the bottom pit barrel of how you actually go about defending your client. Yeah, you can't shimmy much lower under the bar that she set yesterday, um, but, but let's talk about and dig deeper because this self-defense argument where Mr. Goff, attorney for William Roddy Bryant, suggested that even an unarmed black man who is running away is dangerous and you have to protect yourself and even use deadly force against him. Will that resonate? And are there any uh, second guesses this morning about William Roddy Bryant that he should have been separated from the other two at trial? 
Sharon, if you remember, a lot during the closing arguments, there are, there were objections to various parts of the closings on both sides because they wanted to make sure that the facts were right and that the law was right. And the judge said, we're going to leave it up to the jurors to, to, to remember the facts and law as I give them during, during jury instructions. If that plays out the way that it is supposed to, if these jurors paid attention to the facts and will follow the law in terms of the jury instructions, there is no way that the defense can come out a winner. There is no way that you can say to yourself, Listen, slow down, slow down. I need to catch up with you so I can defend myself. That makes absolutely no sense when it comes to the law. In addition to the fact that you have this idea that you have to either be present at the time of said particular felony or it has to be something that uh, you, you suspected highly happened. Um, none of this happened in their presence, and so there's no reason why they were to go over, the, over to uh, to Ahmad Arbery and follow him in that way. Second part of your question, dealing with this whole idea of severing Roddy from the case, William Roddy Bryan. We heard this more than a half a dozen times. This should be severed. The reason this is important is because if the attorney, Kevin Goff, can convince the jury that he was not a party to this crime, then he has the opportunity to get off on lesser charges in terms of other things that might be considered. This is why we heard the, the judge talk about reckless driving, because that would apply to, to Roddy and it would apply to Travis, adding lesser charges. But if he can prove that Roddy Bryan was not a party to the case, then he has the opportunity to either go home or to get out of there with lesser charges. Whether or not that will happen, I don't know, because he was part of the false imprisonment. His car did corner in like a rat, Ahmad Arbery. I do not see that there is any way that he can get out of that felony, which is the under one of the underlying felonies, the felony murder in this case, Sharon. All right, well, it's going to play out today. We'll see how long the jury deliberates in this case. But let's turn to Kyle Rittenhouse, a free man, smiling, leaving prison, and then right into that interview with Tucker Carlson and Fox. Let's play a little bit for you. case has nothing to do with race. Um, it never had anything to do with race. It had to do with the right to self-defense. Right. Um, I'm not a racist person. I support the BLM movement. I support peacefully demonstrating. Hmm. You first, Candace. I was just about to say, who's first on this, Sharon? Because, listen, <laughs> this is a young man that knows that he is free and he knows that the evidence or the evidence that was not allowed in court gave him opportunity to say something as preposterous as what he did. And he supports the Black Lives Matter movement when even while on bail, he was seen taking pictures um, with, with uh, white power um, uh, enthusiasts and people who threw up signs that aligned with white power. This is someone who has been online talking about how he wished that he could taken out someone. This is someone who thought that this was the protest, that he needed to get his mother to drive across state lines in order to protect a place that he was not asked to protect. And now he's saying that he supports the Black Lives Matter movement. Can he be serious? I think he takes himself seriously. He also looked like someone who had a bright future ahead of him. This is someone who's a, who they say might run for office. This is someone who we know has many internship opportunities available to him. This is someone who's going to continue and perhaps finish at Arizona State University. This is what I saw, someone who on the stand was making it up as he went along, and he continued to make it up 
on that interview with Fox News. Yeah, it, it's interesting, Candace, because I saw in the wide shot uh, two men uh, soaked in white privilege. And one of the things about white privilege is it does allow you to rewrite history. It allows you to rewrite history and go on and have enormous opportunity. Uh, we'll be following what else? Yeah, it's so comfortable. So comfortable. You're right, Candace. Uh, we'll keep following. Well, the Brunswick case is, is top of mind this morning, and then we will continue to see what else Kyle Rittenhouse says and goes on to do. He's free to do it in America. Okay. Uh, okay so that was from Start Your Day um, with uh, Sharon Reed. Candace Kelly does legal analysis. Uh, I'll start your day. Candace Kelly and I are sometimes co-panelists of Roland Martin Unfiltered. We were co-panelists on Friday's show, Friday, November 19th. We shared a couple of uh, excerpts here on this show. Uh, very quickly, read this article here dealing from uh, NBC News, dealing with Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, this was an interview that Kyle Rittenhouse did with Tucker Carlson, uh, white supremacist Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Now, the question I would ask is, okay, so he says he supports Black Lives Matter. He's not a racist. He supports Black Lives Matter. So my question to Kyle Rittenhouse is, one, when did you start supporting Black Lives Matter? And two, what have you done to support Black Lives Matter? Because when you went there to the protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin, to protect property, you didn't say you were going there to support Black Lives Matter. So, I mean, that, 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 that was a protest after Jacob Blake was shot by police officers. So you, you didn't say you were going to support Black Lives Matter. You said you were going to go in there to protect property, protect the, 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 the car dealership. Okay. So he says he's not a racist person and all this. Okay, maybe he's not. He said this is Tucker Carlson. Um now he he's getting backlash from the white supremacists in, in in on the right wing. Uh he's getting backlash from them for, for saying he supports Black Lives Matter. We'll see what he says next. He says, I believe there needs to be change. I believe there's a lot of prosecutorial misconduct, not in my case, but in other cases. And, and it's just amazing to see how many, uh, how much a prosecutor can take uh, advantage of somebody. It's amazing to see how a white judge can help you also. Um, okay, so Rittenhouse's lawyers argued that Rittenhouse, okay, neighboring, okay. We know the, the uh, we, we do, I broke down the Wisconsin gun laws on yesterday's show and Wisconsin self-defense laws uh, that need to be rewritten. The gun laws and self-defense laws need to be rewritten uh, because in Wisconsin, based upon the self-defense laws, even if you were the one that provoked or started a situation, you can still claim self-defense based upon Wisconsin self-defense laws. Um, so he said, um, uh, okay, conservatives uh, was Rittenhouse's acquittal sparked some protests around the country while many conservatives rejoiced. Conservatives paid most of his $2 million bond last year through a legal defense fund. And he has been met with praise by right-wing commentators, including uh, Tucker Carlson. Now, after Rittenhouse, after Kyle Rittenhouse was released on bond, okay, um, last year, after he was released on bond, 
Prosecutors say he was spotted at a Wisconsin bar flashing the OK white power symbol, the OK sign, a gesture that has been co-opted by known white supremacists. He's also seen consuming alcohol while being serenaded by a group of adult men who sang the Proud Boys anthem, according to prosecutors who filed a motion with the court to restrict him from uh, doing such things. So, um, let me see what's okay. Now, he is looking at uh, civil lawsuits. And you can read this piece here from uh, this other article here from NBC News. Um, there was also one from uh, rawstory.com. You can read this other one here. Could Kyle Rittenhouse face penalties despite acquittals and Kenosha deaths? The Illinois teen won full acquittals in criminal court, but the possibility of civil lawsuits is still loom. And there was also um, there was also one from rawstory.com. It was one from, let's see, which one is this? It was one from rawstory.com that dealt with a segment on CNN. This one right here. Like OJ, CNN legal analyst warns that Kyle Rittenhouse is at risk for civil lawsuits from victims' families. We'll read this one also here. Read this one here um, from rawstory.com. Like OJ, CNN legal analyst warns that Kyle Rittenhouse is at risk for a civil suit from victims' families. This is from November 21st, 2021. And this is a uh, segment. This was um, uh, Jeffrey Tubin. Okay, this was uh, uh, Jeffrey Tubin on CNN who uh, dealt with this. And he said he's acquitted of murder as everyone. Uh, so just to refresh people's memory with OJ, with the OJ Simpson case, Jeffrey Tubin began. Um, he's acquitted of murder as everyone remembers. And then the family sued and received a very large damage judgment because it's a civil proceeding and has a lower standard of proof. It's a preponderance of evidence in, in civil court. Um, Jail is not on the table. Prison's not on the table in, in civil courts, in civil lawsuits. So I think the victims here might well sue Rittenhouse for civil damages. Um, 
might sue him for the civil damages. Uh, whether they ultimately recover any money and actually be paid that money is a separate question. But I think he is very much at risk for a civil suit from the families of the victims. Okay, so check this out also. They have the video in there from uh, CNN. All right. We're going to, to get out of here. Uh, if you'd like to stop information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. And uh, at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, click on the yellow donate button. We're here six days a week. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, et cetera. Uh, and you can register for the online courses that I teach on Saturdays and Sundays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, and uh, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school, uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Uh, we do the sessions live, usually Saturdays and Sundays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As soon as you, uh, it, but all the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime. So as soon as you register, you can watch uh, the previous classes and watch the class we did uh, last weekend. Okay, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And then understand the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, where we deal with thousands of years of history, and we, we deal with what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. So those are on sale, um, regularly $130. Uh, Understanding transatlantic slave trade is on sale $60, and from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power is on sale $50. And even after the 10-week online course is over with, you can still go and watch the entire class, okay? You can still, you'll still have access. You can watch the entire class even like next year. All right, we have to get out of here. Remember at the African History Network. Remember at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. We'll be back Sunday. Uh, we'll be back live Sunday, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Talk to you later. Peace.